0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. This has been one of the wildest weeks in politics I can remember in 15 years of broadcasting experience. I'm telling you, it has been crazy. First of all, the biggest story on the planet, of course, was a totally unexpected, especially by the mastery media. The crying and the whining that has been coming out of the United States has been fun to watch. The Trump victory, whether you like him or not, you know what, I I know a lot of people who don't like him and think that, you know, he's going to be the worst thing ever invented. And there's a lot of a lot of people who share that opinion. That's fine. I understand that. But you would think it was the devil himself that just won the White House. And as one lady put it, he's not running to be the pope. You know, it's it's, because everybody's saying, oh, he's a womanizer. He's a this, he's a that. Well, what was Hillary. And I know it's a choice between the devil you know and the devil you you think you know. But for now, at least, it has been an absolute ball. Listen, pardon the pun. Absolute ball. Watching what's been going on down in the U.S. about this Trump victory. Because the left is just having literally a cow. There's, uh, If you go on YouTube and just Google Trump won, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, people are just swearing they're going to kill themselves. One girl goes on, and she's talking about, and she's talking about um, how horrible this is, and you got to fix this. She drops a couple F-bombs, and she says she needs an ambulance. She's so worked up. Like, look, one of the things that happens in a case like this is that you have a winner and a loser. In Canada, in the last election... A lot of people lost. My crowd lost. We didn't spend hours, days, weeks, whining and moaning and complaining and crying and threatening to move to other countries. I don't know what it is about the left, but the sore loser attitude is enough to make you lose your mind. Now, before I go any further, i got a couple things to do. First of all, the numbers. three four three seven zero zero forty three ninety eight four four five six two four seven six six Nick at latenightcouncil.com. dot com you can send me an email uh, that way if you want to communicate and in the second hour, I have James coming on uh, you'll know him he's been a frequent caller to uh, a bunch of shows on a local talk radio station here that I used to work at, including mine, and he's very well versed on what's going on in the world at large and we're going to talk to him in the second hour about. All things that we didn't get to cover during the election and the election itself, and what the consequences are. But I have a call, so let's go and talk to the caller. Well, that's James. You told him to call at nine. Good evening. Actually,
1: Nick, it's <laughs> James. I'm, I'm calling you to listen to the show. Uh, did you want us? Did you want to chat now, or do you want to wait till a little later?
0: Well, you know what? I have you now. Because <laughs> I was thinking, you know what? When I told you nine, and this is my fault, because my show goes from nine till eleven. I meant to tell my caller, call screener Mike, have you call in at ten? But you're here, so why would I make you wait? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a- no problem. Call back at ten, whatever you want. It's, it's, it's really, really not a problem.
0: All right, we'll tell you what. Call me back at ten if you want to. If you want to stay on hold and listen to the show, you're certainly welcome to do that. Don't, don't Be- stand on hold because we're paying. For- <laughs> <laughs> all right. But whatever, if you if you want to listen to the show or online, by all means do that. Give me a call back at 10, we'll bring you we'll bring you on because there's some local stuff. relatively that. more local stuff in Carlton County I want to get into in the first hour, and I was trying to save you for the second hour so we could kind of broaden the Let's show Let's do that. To,
1: I'll call back. All Let's right. do that. All right. am so just to drop
0: the call. We'll talk to you again in about an hour. No, 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 that's you. All right. That's Let's drop air. the right one. There we go. Okay, James, talk to you later. Okay. I get so excited when I see a call. <laughs> and then I got to make sure I don't drop mine. Oh, excuse me. All right. So there's a little preview for you. James is going to be joining us at 10. All right. So you got the whole Trump thing going on. And you have a situation where the world is coming unglued. And you know something? Here's my attitude after taking 24 hours to digest this after I got done laughing my head off at how silly many of the Clinton supporters became and how downright violent a lot of them became. There were riots in a lot of cities. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But once you get past that, you say, okay, you kind of calm down and you think, all right, the facts are one side won, one side lost. Now, I've come to the conclusion that Trump will not be nearly as good a president, as a lot of people hope he will be. But he won't be as bad as the Democrats are telling you. He's not Satan. He's not the Antichrist. He's a human being with flaws and failings like everybody else. He's going to get some things right. Remember, even a blind hog finds an acorn once in a while. Okay, so he's not going to get everything wrong. He did not say like I know, there's people out there who accuse him of being an isolationist. And you know something? Maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing on the whole. Like we do need we do need the United States out there on the world stage, but the way they've been out there lately is not exactly in a healthy way. It's not the old Reagan era where the police, the the world's police, you know, were the, the United States, and that was a good thing. Okay, keeping a lid on everything. This under Obama and what would have been under Clinton would have been an unmitigated disaster. So anyway, maybe a little isolationism of the United States right now isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it's funny when you talk about that, that people begin to think, hmm, when when it's a Republican, you know, we're too imperialistic. The Americans are too imperialistic. They should just stay home. They should just close all their military bases, all 200 of them around the world, and stay home. All right. Well, now, you got, got a guy who's speaking to sound like that, and all of a sudden they're going,
2: Oh my God, the sky is falling. We are all going to die. We're going to go to war with Russia.
0: No. <laughs> There's a great clip. Uh, they're watching, and Putin, uh, he's been given an interview, and the guy makes, <laughs> whoever it is, asks Putin a question, and Putin starts to laugh. Well, they use that. Him laughing, and they clip it in with all the fear mongering that goes on, and Putin just sitting there laughing at it all. Now, it's a montage, somebody's having fun, I get that. However, on a little more local scale, I want to share with you something if I can find it. I'm, I made a small note on, um, on Facebook about what was going on in Carlton, in the county there. And you know something? I, for the life of me, have never seen the kind of nonsense and shenanigans that went on in that Carlton Riding Association, as I saw this week. I was at that Riding Association. I know how many people were there. I know how many people didn't show up. And I know why. Because I was there. Now, Goldie Gamari won the nomination. Or did she? Well, technically, yes, she did. There were only two candidates by the time it got around to balloting, and Brendan never really stood a chance. No matter what you think of the young man, it doesn't matter. He was a sacrificial lamb. And there was no doubt about it that Goldie was the one that was supposed to win that, and things were done to make sure that's exactly what was going to happen. Now, here's there's three basic reasons why this. you can tell that this was orchestrated to make sure that she was the one who got uh, the nomination, nobody else. First of all, they disqualified the candidate that was the biggest threat. And what happened was, um, let's see. Yeah. What happened was they disqualified uh, the gentleman, Jay Tysik, because he was the biggest threat, and they didn't want somebody who had his credentials out there Taking a, chance, taking a chance that he was going to beat her. So they made it impossible for him to win. Now, this is my opinion, based on what I saw, based on what I learned about what was going on. The second thing was the choice of venue. They picked a, a spot that was too small. Now, I've articulated this on Facebook uh, quite clearly, but for those of you who didn't read Facebook, the venue was chosen, had a capacity of 350 people. And they, by the time you take out about 50 people... To run it not only the staff because you only it doesn't matter to the fire marshal who's there for what reason there's just a, a body count if there's more than three hundred and fifty people, you're over capacity and it's illegal, so you only got so there's about fifty people between those who organize the event and the staff working in the canteen and that kind of stuff by the time you count all the bodies, you have fifty people set aside just to run the thing, so that leaves only three hundred okay now. It turns out there was only barely 200 of all types of people there. Casual observers like myself, staff, the, you know, the, the building staff, and so on. And yet they claim that Goldie won with 200 votes. Now, there were barely 200 people there. So how is that possible? When you think about the people that uh, Brendan would have brought, and I know there were supporters. Let's say let's give him 30 or 40 people. His mother was there. He had a bunch of other people wearing Brendan buttons and things like that that were going to vote for him. So there, it's not physically possible for him, her to have 200 ballots cast in her favor. Never mind the people who were there who wrote in Mr. Tysick's name as a protest for the way things were done. Now, the question has become, why was there only 200 people in a riding with about a thousand members? Because most of the people knew the fix was in and stayed home. Why would they want to have a be party to anything like that? So, goalie, enjoy your win. It's going to be short-lived, and it's hollow, but it's a win. All right, with that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. Folks, welcome back. Uh, we had to do, take care of a little technical issue during the break, so if you heard some funny stuff, well, that's what that was all about. Now, based on everything I said before the break, I want to share with you some thoughts I put together that I posted on Facebook. But if you didn't catch it on Facebook, this is a summation of um, all the nonsense that went on in that writing. And remember, it isn't just in this writing. There were 24 other writings that had similar shenanigans going on. It's very clear Patrick Brown wants to become a liberal wearing a blue tie. If he's not, well, he's already there, but he wants to make the party that. That's why he's handpicking candidates who have no social conservative uh, credentials at all. Goldie Gamari is a lot of things, but a social con- a social conservative isn't one of them. So here's my conclusion, my 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 um, thoughts on what happened down there. I have come to a conclusion. After all the nonsense that this week has brought in Ontario, especially in Carleton, I believe it is time, at least in this riding, to mount a campaign to elect Jay Tysick as an independent candidate to represent all those who are disf- dissatisfied with the leadership of Patrick Brown, the management of this riding by the Riding Association and the direction of the OPC party in general. I have spoken to Jay and he's told me that I am not the first person to suggest this to him. So I think now is the perfect time to encourage him to pick up that banner and carry it for all of us who have been betrayed by the party that was supposed to reflect our values. And that, in a summation, is what I think has come out of all this. There's a tremendous amount of anger. And, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about why this kind of thing is happening now. Look at, if you start, go back to the summertime. What was the big event this summer? Brexit. England basically flipped the bird to the to the United uh, European Union and said, we don't want any more of your progressive policies coming out of Brussels. We don't want to be governed by Europe. Because understand something, Britain is not part of Europe. It never has been. It's always been referred to as Britain and Europe, two completely separate entities The United Kingdom, its own entity, and Europe, a separate one. So they tried to blend it all together, and there was all these promises, and none of it came true, or very little. And the only things that did come true were the nightmare sides, the mass immigration, the loss of national identity. You see, the people who put things like the European Union together don't want nation states. They want um, control from uh, a, a central body, I mean, in the old days, we, we used to call this the one-world government. Well, I don't believe in a one-world government, but I believe there's probably two or three governments or organizations who want to control large chunks of it. The European Union, uh, you know, controlling Europe; United Nations, controlling a vast area uh, territory. And rem- figure can, consider this as well: you also have, in this particular scenario, a situation where you have imperialism. Now, imperialism has been with us since the days of, um, oh, man, I, w- I don't want to say Adam and Eve, but it's been with us almost as long as there's been kings and kingdoms. Everybody wants more real estate, more territory, more resor- more resources. Sometimes they can negotiate that with their neighbors in a peaceful way, but the vast majority of times it's settled through the act of war. As it wars are about, is gaining power, access to resources, more territory, these kind of things. That's called imperialism. And we are stuck with imperialism no matter what we do. The question is, whose imperialism do you want? Do you want progressive imperialism? Do you want socialist imperialism? What kind of imperialism are you interested in? Because i got to tell you something. The kind that came with the British crown I think is the most benign. British imperialism has led to more democracy than any other kind of imperialism the world has ever seen. It gave birth to the United States. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, England, excuse me. And all these other places where people have the most freedom or freedom is available. Freedom and economic prosperity is available for more people most of the time than any other time in our history. Now, the other options you have are Russian imperialism, Islamic imperialism, socialistic progressive imperialism. I mean... Consider Keep that in mind, that it's not a question of getting rid of imperialism, it's picking your poison. Which imperialism do you want to live with? I prefer the most benign one. And that's what I think we're seeing, is this, with Brexit was the beginning. Because from Brexit, in Europe, it started an earthquake. And the rumblings have not yet finished. You're going to see a bunch of countries bail out of the European Union and you'll see the, uh, I believe, in 2017, you will see the collapse of the European Union as we know it. And as far as North America is concerned, Trump is another of those earthquakes. He, the, the reason, one of the reasons he won isn't so much that he's so brilliant, isn't so much that he was the right man at the right time. Well, maybe he was, but not for the right reasons, but he managed to harness a frustration and an anger about the failed policies, the promises that don't come true, and all the golden rainbows, you know, that never happened. They got tired of being promised bridges where there were no rivers. And the population basically flipped those people, the socialist elites, the bird, and said, we've had enough. And Donald Trump just happened to find a way to harness that. So when you continue down that path, if you look at Canada and Ontario... I think that earthquake is spreading here as well, where people have come to the same conclusion. They have said, you know what? I don't want any more intrusion in my life. I don't want to pay any more taxes. I do not want any more Kathleen Wynne's telling me how to rear my children. I do not want them taking mother and father off government documents. I do not want them to tell me that green energy is better than fossil fuel, even if I believe it. People generally act in their own interest. And when the government begins to assume that they know what that interest is and begin to act on behalf of the people without talking to the people first, through, I don't know, things like referendums on how we vote, uh, they get a little annoyed. And sooner or later, those cows, those, I was going to say the cows come home to roost, but that'd be quite the chicken coop if you put cows up on a chi- on a, in a chicken coop. But those chickens come home to roost. And you're seeing it happening now. This is not just... An American event. This is not just a European event. This, I believe, is a Western world event. When you look at the forces that are out there that are preying on the West, if I can use that general term, everything from Islamic terrorism to social progressive policies that destroy families and and leave people, uh, you know, in their wake. You know, no one left behind but the people that we don't like. You know, that kind of thing, when they see those consequences, it's becoming harder. It's a harder and harder and harder sell to uh, uh, thing to sell. Like when you listen to what Bernie Sanders wanted to do if he became president, he was willing to spend all kinds of money, just none of it his. And people looked at that and said, yeah, but who's going to pay for this? Now, there's a lot of people, millions of people who never think that way. They don't get involved and they don't say, Well, wait a minute, because the economic reality hasn't hit him. And a sign of that was what happened to Trudeau when he came to Ottawa and the backs got turned on him by the young because the young said he wasn't left enough. He wasn't willing to spend other people's money fast enough because they've never really earned a paycheck. They've never seen the money come off there that they worked so hard to to earn. It hasn't hit them yet. And that's why most people, not all by any stretch, but most young people, tend to lean left. Reality hasn't caught up to them yet. And it's almost like watching the barometer that predicted who was going to win swing from Clinton to Trump. If you look at the barometer, but you put left versus right on somebody as they go through life, it tends to go from the left towards the right. And at some point, it'll stop, but we just don't know where. It depends on the person's experience. So in other words, you start out life as a soft-hearted socialist, and what eventually happens is you become a conservative who's still soft-hearted but has enough world experience to know you can't save everybody. And secondly, that somebody's got to pay for the different programs that you want to put in place. Let's bring Mike on here. He's itching to say something.
3: Well, uh, but mostly because you started this with what went on in the Carlton writing, and we're looking at Brexit. A lot, of the, um, a lot of the commentary is trying to make a little more out of the American election than I think is probably – now that I'm starting to see some of the polls and the results, um, it's kind of interesting to see that both Hillary and Donald Trump actually earned a whole lot less votes than previous elections. So they didn't actually – neither one of them had any big wave. Um, Donald Trump got fewer votes than Romney. He got fewer votes than John McCain and uh, the big story is really that Hillary's support that was saying they were going to come out and vote for her in all those polls at the last minute decided to bail on her and that I think that's I think there's something there that is being a little bit lost because because it's such an upset it is a story I mean there's no question that Trump pulled off a major come from behind victory there but I do think that we shouldn't ignore the fact that more Republicans sat this out than the last time and the time before that and more Democrats sat it out than before you're turning people off all those stories that were coming out on Hillary from the WikiLeaks um, you know they were they were literally kind of coordinating and giving her uh, advanced uh, questions for the for the uh, debates and uh, you know it was kind of obvious like, What's gone on with that email thing is so scandalous. She really should be in jail. You know you know it's bad when they're even talking about maybe the White House will pardon her before he leaves so that they can't prosecute her. That's how bad she's dirty. But so that, people see the fixes in on that, and that, it's
0: turning people off. That raises a question, though. Yeah. If he's going to pardon her, what's she guilty of? Because pardons only apply to convicted.
3: Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's not like it's conjecture. We know she's guilty. She's violated. You're not even supposed to have. You're at the highest levels of government. Do you really think you're allowed to have your own private servers in your, I don't know, the closet of the barn or something? Give me a break. And all these. She went to extreme lengths to avoid having her records. And (laughs) people know that the fix is in on that. And they don't like it. it. It really angers people. And one of the things that I've been hearing from both sides of the party, I don't know – there's no question Trump's got a huge following and he's got them very energized. But there are a lot of people that voted for Trump really to stop her and there were a lot of people that voted for her to stop him. That's a, that's what people are starting to vote for and that's not what we want our elections to be about. That's not promoting ideas on their side or our side. Yeah, but
0: the elections – today at least, aren't about promoting ideas.
3: Well, they, but they, we, that's why people are turning away, yeah, and that's why people are tuning out, and that's why polls, that's why election res, um, turnout is going down. And what's happening is, and I saw some stats uh, recently, but uh, each when you really start breaking down like the elections, when you figure the amount of people that could vote, and only a portion of that shows up, and then a small portion of that wins it, You're getting down to like maybe 15, 20 percent of the population is deciding for everybody how the country is run or how the province or state is run or how the city is run. And apparently from the highest level all the way down to each lower level, you have lower and lower turnouts for each election. So fewer and fewer people are making decisions for everybody. And nobody ever goes out and energizes those people that have turned it off. There, you're never going to get the people that just don't give a crap. You're, that There's always going to be those people. We know that. But I think that's how you get when Reagan won, it was a big landslide. It was a huge turnout. That, yeah. like, that energizes people. When Re, uh, Obama had a big turnout that first election, anyways, he had a big turnout. There's no getting around it. People wanted to be a part of something. It was a movement. That, you know, putting aside what he stands for, it's irrelevant. I'm saying that he energized people. He stood for something, that at least that they thought, and they turned out for him. It wasn't they were voting against McCain. They actually voted for Obama. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think if we don't start getting, if people don't start demanding and the parties don't start putting forward, taking voters serious, you're going to start seeing more and more turn, like, even the there's rhetoric. Two things,
0: there's two things that I think are going to happen. Number mm-hmm. one, you're right. More and more people become jaded. Yeah. But the other thing is some of those jaded people will, will say, okay, since nobody else wants to do anything, I'm going to. And you will see a flurry of small independent parties. And when you watch, If you watch the Rogers 22 uh, debate with the uh, by-election in Vanier, there were 12 people sitting at that table. Okay, you had the you had the the the, the big three, the Conservatives, the Liberal, and the NDP. You had the Green Party. You had a one issue party lady, very nice lady. She stopped the stopped the sex agenda party. He had a constituents party member, uh, Stephanie. I'm trying to think of her last name. McAvoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was at the um, the reason I sing, I'm I'm singling her out, because her I know personally, and uh, I think she's you know she's she's trying her best. But the point is, you had this whole array of different people uh, sitting there, and only three of them came from the traditional parties. You had a Green Party member, but the Green Party never really uh, goes anywhere, and it certainly isn't growing. You don't see a whole lot of growth within the Green Party. However, these people are doing it not because they wanted to get into politics. Like, why did the lady who joined the or start or want to represent the Stop the Sex Ed Party, mm-hmm. why did she do it? She's lo- She looks like a very nice young woman. Maybe she's married. Well, she had a couple of kids, so maybe she's married or whatever, and she doesn't want her kids educated. But she felt so frustrated that nobody was dealing with it, she stepped into the ring. The same thing with a lot of the other people. I don't agree with most of what the other people had to say. In one case, the guy was just a plain old wingnut. He was a Looney Tune. Yeah. Okay, But the point is, there's so, so much frustration out there right now with the way things are that people you're going to see over the next i'll say the next six months to a year a whole crop of new parties each one wanting to be the replacement for the traditional parties because to a lot of people and i'm really becoming one of them they don't share they don't share the values of the the common man they certainly don't look a whole lot different. Like what's the difference between the Tories and the and the Liberals? What's the real difference? Can anybody tell me?
3: Well I was never a Tory, so you're asking the wrong guy. No, it's uh, a terrible no, question. I know, I know. But it but we're what you're saying is is they've gone further and further to the left. They well, are at some point. liberal. Like it's not they're not distinguished enough. Like Ron Reagan said no pale pastel colors, bold color differences, but we can we can see that it's gone beyond pale pastels. They're quite literally adopting each other's policies and and usually it's in favor of the left. You don't hear the the left ever talking free market or going to get rid of regulations. It's almost all exclusively adding adding adding.
0: Well, here's the, what I see it as is you have three main parties all competing to spend your waste your money more efficiently.
3: You know, something else is occurring to me too as you were talking about how this some of the protests and what's going on in the states <coughs> The, one of the reasons that we in the West, especially Canada, the U.S., the reason we have the kind of elections we do where there is a peaceful transfer of power. Yes, a little bit of protest. Yes, a little bit of crazy. There's always to those few people, but it's very minor. But the more and more and more people feel like I can't make a difference. We're getting screwed. We're getting we can't our voices isn't getting through and nobody's listening to me. That's where you start getting into problems. And then you add to that the firebomb rhetoric that we have where both Hitler, like both were Hitler, both are Satan, you know, and it's gone so crazy. She was dirty. She's corrupt. He's a a crazy man. He's very intemperate. But both of them are not Satan incarnate. Neither one of them were Satan incarnate. And I think when you get people feeling disillusioned and to the point where they think of tomorrow's not going to I'm going to wake up and tomorrow I'm going to be in a gulag they're going to freak out when you get an election result they don't like. And they're getting tired. I think all in here and down there on both sides of the aisle, I think people are starting to get frustrated that these parties have turned into essentially machines that just perpetuate their own power and money, and people are starting to see it. And the fact that the Democrats – I mean, when's the last time – this is part of the reason the polls are wrong, right? When's the last time that voting machine of the Democrats, much less the Clinton machine – all just vanished at the last minute. People are getting angry and they even got angry with them.
0: All right, with that I got to stop you there. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more with the Nick at Night show right after this. <music>
4: For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in, in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile.
0: Okay, welcome back to the Nick at Night Show, 343-700-4390, 844-562-4766. Nick at Council.com is the email address. If you want to send me a note, please feel free. I am regularly checking my email address, or my address, yeah, that too, my uh, email inbox. Let me just refresh it, because once in a while that helps. Okay, uh, let's see. One of the things I wanted to mention... Today, of course, today, uh, tomorrow, is Remembrance Day, and it is about as close to a um, holy day as a secular society can get. Now, I have over the over the years dedicated a lot of time and energy to learning as much as I can about our military history, not just World War One or World War Two, but all of it, and it is rich. We hold we should hang our head in, in the presence of no one. No country is perfect. We do have a few dark chapters in our history. But nobody has a record as clean as ours is. We have all kinds of stories of heroes, of people who have gone above and beyond the call of duty, uh, to be able to give us the country, the freedoms, and the uh, the ability to do what we're doing now. Is to criticize the government to call on um, people to, in a political manner, you know, enter into the political arena and overthrow that government from a political, political point of view. We're not talking about chaos. We're not talking about anarchy, burning cities down or nothing like that. We're talking about at the ballot box, to do it right. Governments rise and fall all the time. The best societies do it democratically. We are the best society this world has ever seen. With all of our warts and wrinkles, with all of the things that we have to deal with, with the Kathleen Wynns and the Boy King and the Notleys who have trashed the best country in the world uh, and the economy and tried to make it into a third-world country and make us feel good about it under the guise of environment and you name name it, uh, they have done everything they can to try to undermine this great nation of ours. Yet at the same time, there's a certain resiliency that I think that is in our genes, and the other thing that's in our genes is the ability to stand up and fight for what's right when we're called to do it. Let me tell you a little story. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the individual. The story is true. D-Day. You have a wave of men, two hundred and fifty thousand people in the first in the first wave, assault the beaches in Normandy, and as, as you all know, the the uh, Utah and Omaha were the American beaches. Gold and sword were the British beaches, and Juneau was ours. Amongst those men were the Winnipeg, I believe it was the Grenadiers. No, it would have to be the Winnipeg Rifles, uh, because the Winnipeg Grenadiers went to Hong Kong and spent most of their war in a prisoner of war camp after trying to defend Hong Kong. So the Winnipeg Rifles go ashore. Amongst them is a medic. Now, for five days, he goes about his business, tending the fallen, bringing what comfort he can to those men injured, uh, you know, some of them beyond hope. And the whole time he goes without concern for his own safety until day six. That would be, of course, the 12th of June. He's cut down by a German machine gunner. When they recover his body, they find out that over the course of those five days, he's been hit five times previously and has crawled off by himself, dressed his own wounds, and without a word of complaint, gone back to serving others. Simply doing his duty. No word of complaint, no belly aching. no looking or screaming for a medic for, for his own injuries. He cared for himself the best he could and kept going until he couldn't go anymore. And that's the kind of people that won us our freedom. Now, think about who this gentleman was. And I really, really wish I could remember his name. It's just been too long since I read the story. This guy grew up during the 1930s. Probably born, I'm going to say, in the mid 20s. By the time to be old enough to fight in World War II, so he goes through the Great Depression. He goes through Black Friday first of all uh, in 1929. He goes through the Great Depression and all of the everything that that meant, the hardship. If he was from Winnipeg, he would have gone through the Dust Bowl. He would have gone through. All the suffering that the people of west the people across the across the world suffered it wasn't just in North America or Canada or the United States. it was a worldwide depression, so he already understood, as did most of the people with him, what real suffering looked like and when duty called, he answered it, and he had the depth of character and the strength of his and the fiber of his courage enough to be able to do it. To the point where it cost him his life. Now he isn't the only story like that. There's an, there's another story about a medic, another medic called Andrew Eichlandboom out of Afghanistan, and this kid exemplifies the first story because it's the same kind of mental toughness and the same kind of spirit of service that was echoed is echoed in this young man's story that I just told you about in a second. Andrew Eichelboom came from British Columbia, and he was—forgive me—I forget the name of his regiment. But he was a medic, and he'd served his tour of duty. Now, before he went to Afghanistan, he had a large cross tattooed across his back, and his mother said, "Do you think that's a wise idea?" And he looked at his mother without beating without missing a beat, and said, "Mom." No matter what else happens, at least they'll know what I stand for. That kind of courage is rare. So as he's getting ready, he's packing his duffel bag. He's ready to get on the plane and go home. He's done his tour. And his sergeant comes to him and says, look, we got a convoy to run. We need a medic. Will you go? He can't make him. The airplane's on the runway. All he has to do is say, no, I'm going home. And no one would have thought the less of him, the less of him because that's what everybody does at the end of their tour. There would be another medic, there would be, but he put his kit down, he said, I'll be right there, grabbed his stuff, jumped in the back of an LAV, and shortly thereafter was killed by a suicide bomber. His CO carried him in tears, in his arms, back onto the base. Andrew Eichlinboom, otherwise known as Boomer by his buddies, has the kind of spirit that built this country, as did the medic I told you about in World War II. It's not unique. As much as we sometimes think that it's unique, to The kind that kind of thing uh, is unique to the greatest generation or to the generation that fought World War I or the generation that pioneered this. If you look over our history, we find people like this scattered all through it. It's not unique. It's a trait that we have. Not everybody has it. Not everybody has it in that kind of amount. But enough people have it to make it a trait that Canada has and is something we should all be very, very proud of. So when you go to the cenotaph tomorrow, wherever that happens to be, and you see someone in uniform, understand that simply joining the military is an act of courage in and of its own. Because when you join the military and you take the oath, you promise To defend the country and your sovereign, up to and including laying down your life in the defense of those things. And that is an oath that those who take it feel for the rest of their lives. And we need to remember that, that just because the guy standing beside you hasn't been called on to go overseas and lay his life down, he's willing because he signed up as a volunteer. We don't have the draft in Canada. And it is something we all need to remember and be proud of. Because these men and women are heroes, one and all. Whether they lifted a rifle in anger or whether they shuffled paper, it doesn't matter. They wear the uniform and therefore they deserve our respect and our admiration. And tomorrow is the day that we get to celebrate it. We'll take a break and be back right after this.
5: Timmos 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning comes right to your driveway and makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timmos 2000 613 327 8498. 613 327 8498. Or go to timmos2000.com.
0: All right, thanks for staying with us, folks. The numbers are three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. Nick at late night council dot com. And I got a little ish technical issue here. Nothing serious. I just killed that. Oh, I see it there. Okay. I'm. You know what the pro- excuse me half the problem is. I'm still not used to working with a Mac. I'm a PC guy, and between you and me and the fence post, I don't like Macs. But. So I have to work with, so I don't complain much, and uh, I just go out and do it. Now, uh, just before we carry on, I do want to let you know about the upcoming Grey Cup uh, party. It'll be at the Montgomery Legion. Uh, let me see if I can find all the details here. Look at that. There they are. Uh, Grey Cup party, November 27th. Uh, it'll be with uh, myself and uh, the Nick and Knight crowd, and that's pretty much anybody who's listening who wants to go. Um, there will be a 50-50 draw that will benefit the Legion. A donation for the Warhorse Project to be a jar. If you want to throw a little bit of cash in that, live, there'll be some live music before the game. There'll be a special on chili and wings, and there'll be beer and and beverages at the bar, and that'll be a cash bar. Now the uh, venue gets uh, opens its doors at 11 or 12 o'clock. Uh, let's call it let let's say from 2 to 6 p.m. before the football game starts, and then at 6, of course, you get into the pregame show and that kind of stuff. Why are you pointing at me? Oh, okay, yes, excellent. All right. Um, now, just uh let's spend the last few minutes here. I want I want uh Mike had a question for me, so
3: let me bring him on and he can ask it. Well, seeing as how you were a navy guy, my grandfather served in World War Two. He was uh on one of the Corvettes uh for part of his service and I don't know a lot about uh I, I know little things about his time on it, but you know, at the time I was younger he still didn't like talking about it. I know uh I know that certain sounds would make him jump out of bed to attention. You can't get that out. Of, it, apparently, right to the end for him, that was always the case, certain sounds. But uh, he. I, the other thing I know about the Corvette that he was on was one of the short folks. This was before they changed the design, and uh, they said that is a very wet, wet ship. In other words, everything down in the quarters was always wet. Now, me, I'm a big wimp. And and I like to think I'm a little tougher than some of the what I'm seeing today, of today's generation, but I'm, I'm definitely wimp city here. I don't like being wet and cold. And I'm thinking to myself, if everything was constantly wet all the time, and then I'm thinking North Atlantic, and then I'm thinking winter, and I'm seeing pictures of some of these ships. I don't know if it was a Corvette or not, but I saw pictures of how much they ice, and they're tossing back and forth, and water on ice, you know what that's like. Uh, how the heck do these guys, and then cold, and your fingers feel like they're about to fall right off, or they're burning, or I I just, I can't even imagine, and yet you're probably getting shot at, or (laughs) trying to do the do-so. I'm just assuming, I know you weren't in battle maybe, but uh, you definitely probably know a thing or two about what I'm...
0: Well, first of all, you're right, I was never shot at. I'm a peacetime sailor, (laughs) thank God. Um, But I have the world's respect for the guys who fought World War II, and went to sea... Uh, because in World War II, Canada ended the na- ended the war with over 400 surface vessels. It was the third largest navy in the world, but it didn't start there. Mm. There were 39 surface vessels in the Canadian Navy at the beginning of 1939. 19- uh, now, 19- in 1939, we had six destroyers custom-built for the RCN. We had a handful of minesweepers and some smaller ar- ancillary craft, yard craft and things like that. And that was it. There was a total of about 3,000 men in the Royal Canadian Navy the day the war started. They, the reason why they went with the Corvette was because it was fast to build. Yeah, I think that, yeah. It was cheap to build and was based on a trawler design, which meant that it had excellent... When I say sea-keeping qualities, I don't mean comfortable. I mean that it could take a pounding in a gale mm-hmm. and it would bob around and you, it was very, very difficult to damage in a storm.
3: Am I right in that they were... Uh, relatively maneuverable, quick like they were sort of your responders, or they were or, or, no, no, okay. I, I didn't know they would
0: only do 16 knots, oh, okay. So they, they were not fast, okay. They okay. were fast to produce and manufacture. Uh, That's okay. what I mean by fast, okay. The Corvette was infamous. And if anybody has ever spent any time on a body of water larger than a, po- a pond, you know that waves have an impact on the way the ship moves. And the ocean is different than the lakes. Hang on a second. <coughs> If you were to take a large bowl of jello and give it a shake, you would see a wave pattern form in it that looks like haystacks. That's the ocean. So on the Great Lakes, you get these long, thin waves. So you can hit them and cut them, and it makes a much more comfortable ride. But on the ocean, it doesn't matter how you approach it. You're going to hit the side of one, and that'll cause you to roll, let's say, to port. And then as you come down, you hit the other one. That will cause you to roll to starboard, or you hit it straight on and make you go up. You end up with a corkscrew motion. Now, they were only 150 feet long and about 900 tons, so they weren't big as ships go. They were wet because the folks was always digging into a wave. Mm-hmm. The, the galley was, not, was in, internal, and so was the mess deck. But the problem is they, they ate in the mess deck, and they had to carry the food from the galley across the open deck to the mess deck. So your food was soggy. It was half. Most of the heat was gone in it by the time you got there. The mess decks had uh, to get any ventilation at all. They had these little things. If you ever seen pictures of old ships, where these funnels stick up out of the deck and point forward, those are called. Uh, those are called. Well, they're called funnels, but they're not smoke funnels. They're they're air scoops. I want to call them scuppers, but that's not the right name. Scuppers are drains in the deck. Anyway, a lot of times you could close them, but they would leak. And you would get water in the in the mess deck, and that would slosh around. And the longer the voyage went, and the longer the storm went on, and the, the, for some reason during the decade of the '40s, that was the worst storms they'd seen in 50 years on the on the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. The word Atlantic means angry, and it was angry a lot. So these guys, their clothing is wet, their food is cold, the ship will not stand still. Even when you're tied up alongside, they'll move. So they're always fighting the ship itself to try to stand upright. they're trying to digest this this food, and let 's face it, the rations in those days were not excuse me were not the kind of rations that even I enjoyed while I was in the service. So these guys had all that to fight, and then they had the U-boat. Mm-hmm. there's a very famous story. Of Which a, I
3: can't, I can't even imagine. Like, is bad enough you're worrying about somebody showing up and shooting at you, but literally Jaws kind of a situation where just a torpedo, I guess, comes out of nowhere. Or do they? Do yeah, they, have... they had they had rudimentary sonar,
0: mm. but there's things called thermal layers. I don't have time to get into the yeah. technical side of it, but subs could hide underneath them, and the sonar would bounce past them. And they wouldn't know they were there. And a lot of times, the submarines would attack from the surface. So your sonar's not much good. Mm-hmm. And the radar was very, even more rudimentary. As a matter of fact, the Canadian Navy didn't start with radar until about a year or two into the war when the British ships had all been fitted out and they had a few extra sets. Then the RCN started to get their own. But the point is that these guys went through unbelievable. Let me guess. Let me sum it up by saying if you read the book The Cruel Sea, it will give you. It's a story about a British Corvette, but it's the same story as yeah, the yeah. Canadians would have gone through. There's a movie about it. If you want to watch the movie or read the book, it'll give you a real sense of what these guys went through. And I'm telling you, the war on Corvettes was its own
3: hell. I, I would imagine any of the ships because I, I, I honestly I can't wrap my head around because you know, we get to go inside and dry and and sit in front of the T V and have a little hot cocoa. I don't I I have no concept of well, what in my time- real uh what they really had to endure. That's unbelievable to me. I
0: didn't have to go through much of that. Like, I went outside yeah. when it was rough, and I know what it's like when a ship won't sit still. But the ship I was on was a result of the lessons learned in yep. World War II. So all your lodging, your food, your mess deck, all that stuff was internal. So no matter how rough it got, you were warm, you were dry. And my job down in the engine room and the boiler room, off the coast of Halifax in January, was still 75 degrees down there because mm. everything was run by steam. Now, the poor bosons and the lookouts, they froze to death. But these guys down in the engine room, the stokers, they were also, we had a saying first aboard, last ashore, first to die. Mm. Because the torpedoes kind of went for the center of the ship, and the boiler room and the engine room take up the biggest part of the space in the hull. So the chances of you living through a torpedo attack if you're a stoker are slim to none. Wow. Usually those are the first guys to buy it, and it didn't go, it was ugly way to go. So anyway, wow. that's in a nutshell, I have the world of respect for World War II sailor. You know who I have even more respect for? isn't even the sailors it's the merchant marine mm. they couldn't even fight back so uh, all right so many great stories there I,
3: are. I i had one little tribute i wanted to read because i know you're going to change topics after the top of the hour and it gives you a chance to uh, <coughs> <coughs> care, uh, care, care for your throat this is what's going on and when he hits mute right. <laughs> because the other mic is open they can hear Anyways, I had a tribute. Uh, This is uh, actually written by Pastor John Hagee in the States, and it's obviously towards the American soldiers, but I'm pretty sure we get the idea. It still applies to the Canadian soldiers. I think we can apply it here. But anyways, uh, so he reads this uh, for his services every year on Memorial Day for them as a tribute to their soldiers, and like I said, I think it applies to all soldiers and all people who serve. He says, I hear a cry from Valley Forge. From an American patriot standing with a blood-soaked bandage on his head. He stands without shoes in the snow. He stands holding a musket with a message to America in the 21st century. Listen up, America. Your rights come from God Almighty, not from a king or Congress, not from a president or a political party. The patriot soldier looks directly into our eyes and continues. I stood in the snow at Valley Forge without shoes to ensure your God-given right to vote and you stay home on election day because the weather is bad. I left my family destitute so that you could have freedom of speech and you remain silent because that speech might be considered politically incorrect. I orphaned my children to give you a government to serve you and through neglect and the desire to be taken care of, you have permitted it to become the master of your children and grandchildren. The cry from Valley Forge comes, Stand up, America! Speak up, America! Take America back to God and the Constitution. We are still one nation under God, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is... Oh, sorry. Let us remember... My thing went... Let us remember, (laughs) this is the problem with modern technology, right? It decides to flip while I'm reading. Right. Let us remember, it is the soldier from Valley Forge to Afghanistan who fights to preserve our God-given rights. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag that makes freedom possible for those who live beneath that flag. He says, God bless the American soldier, and I add that to all soldiers who've served.
0: And the only thing I'll add to that is a saying that I think sums it all up. And I think it's originally uh, J.R. Tolkien who said it in one of his books uh, about Lord of the Rings. And it basically is summed up in this. I fight not because I hate what is in front of me, but because I love what is behind With that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have James as our guest. He's waiting online. So we'll take a break. we'll come back with more on the Nick and Night Show right after this.
2: We often hear about the supposed dangers of human-induced climate change, but what about the disastrous consequences of climate policy? For example, the closing of Ontario's coal stations was the single most important cause of the 318% rise in power rates since 2002. Thousands of industrial wind turbines are being erected across the province, killing birds and bats and ruining the lives of people living nearby. The expanded use of biofuels has led to 6.5% of the world's grain going to fuel instead of food. Only 6% of the $1 billion spent every day on climate finance goes to helping people today. The rest is dedicated to trying to stop climate change that may someday happen. Yet the reports of the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change show that the science backing the climate scare is highly uncertain. Isn't it time we focused on problems we know to be real? This message is brought to you by ClimateScienceInternational.org.
0: All right. We're back again. My guest in, my guest on the phone is James, who is a, uh, let's see if I can get this right, a well-known caller to, CFR, to CFRA, yeah, well, that's where I was, uh, CFRA shows, including mine, Lowell, and John Council's. James works with a number of independent think tanks on a variety of issues, but primarily on matters of Islam and uh, as a threat doctrine, and we'll discuss what difference, if any, the Trump story will make and how things look in Europe. James, welcome to the show, and glad to talk to you again.
1: You know, thanks for inviting me on. It's it's a pleasure to be it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I've been listening, of course, the whole show. It's been great, really interesting and entertaining.
6: Thank you. Um,
1: I wanted to just launch off with a few things, though. Um, I, I I listened to what Mike had to say earlier about um, perceptions of these two candidates, right? And I would like to I would like to offer a different one. I don't think that his was inaccurate, but I do think that it missed really important variables. Okay. Uh, so I'd like to go into those a bit, if I'm like, enough, I might. Be my guest. Um, one of the, one of those would be that there there I made a prediction a few days ago on a different radio uh, program that after the election, no matter who won, there'd be major rioting in the streets by the same people, no matter who won, but for different reasons. And I think I can prove that that would be true. I think because that's a hard case to prove. Because how do you know what they do if the other guy won? Well, because in LA, they're in 12 cities. They're running around burning giant effigies of Trump. And in LA, they're running around burning in a in a, in a last in a in a riot last night, burning a massive Donald Trump head. It was made of papier mâché for the purpose of burning, which there's no way they could have made. So what in one day? All, there's just no way they could have made it that day. It was huge. So I'm 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 positing that we have this new variable here, which has only really existed for the last I don't know 10, 15 years, and that is really well organized large numbers of cultural Muslims who have a very distinct agenda. And they're working very well with Muslim groups. I might add. In fact, some of the slogans and the chants are distinctly Muslim Brotherhood ones. No justice, no peace. Okay, let's we'll stop here you for you a second because have a question for you. All over the states, okay, right have... out of the Muslim Brotherhood.
0: When you say, "Hello," uh, I just want to ask you a question. Uh, when you say they are working really well with the Muslim Brotherhood in this case, who is they? So good question. They is a collection of uh, of groups that
1: are masquerading as as identity groups so that could be black lives matter which clearly don't care about black lives or it could be Jewish groups, like Not In Our Name or J Street. And it could be feminist groups who really don't care about women's rights whatsoever, or they would be objecting to large numbers of Muslims being brought into Western uh, countries without any kind of classes on how women are equal before the law here and that there's certain things you just cannot do. There, there's clearly – these these different identity groups are all usurping the authority of the – a sort of political correct authority of the groups they claim to represent when really what they are is battering rams against classical civilization which are funded by people like George Soros but others as well and their purpose is to is to is frankly to bring down the temple to bring down classical civilization which it would be western civilization and Greek thought even as a whole and now these are giant claims I'm making and I'm perfectly prepared to back them up and offer all kinds of homework for those people that want to look into it. Uh, If anyone has seen the movie Hillary's America, which is an extraordinarily good film, actually, there's a a section of it, if you don't want to watch the whole movie, there's a section of it which is really amazing, and it's about a guy named Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was a communist. In truth, the more you read about him and the more you know about him, you realize that I think communism... Was really his vector for simply doing evil. The dedication to his book is to Satan, where he says, "I dedicate this book to the first rebel, uh, Satan, who because I would rather uh, rule I would rather rule in heaven, or he would rather rule in heaven than serve an hell or something." But the point is, you could just dismiss that uh, as being some kind of you know state flippant throwaway remark for his book. But in fact, when you study this guy, you realize that he really meant it. Now, Saul Alinsky was uh, – uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama both taught Alinsky like he was a good thing. They taught his methods and his tactics and his thinking. And one of the things that Alinsky did early on was he invented a scam where you could, you could rob cafeterias during the Depression era, right? During the Depression in the United States, he found a little trick where you could get free meals from – low-priced cafeterias that were there to help the regular guy eat. Okay. Okay. So these were benevolent, benign places where the staff earned extremely little money. And he found a way to just rob them, and then he taught it. He was a professor, by the way, at this time at university. He didn't need the money. But he got groups of people together in an organized way, found a way to rob as many of these in New York as possible with as many people as possible, only to destroy them. He was interested in finding a way to destroy systems that worked, which were generally good for people. And then he took it larger and larger and eventually wrote books like Rules for Radicals. Uh, One of his statements, it's one of my favorite ones, is if you control the language, you can control the people. And that's exactly what's taking place. More, political correctness is, is a system of controlling the language so that you can control what people think and you can control the outcome. And and if you go back a little further, this sounds disjointed, I'm sorry if it does, but it actually is consistent. If you take it back a little further, there was a French philosopher named Michael Foucault or Michel Foucault, and he actually was also really interested in the promulgation of evil. And one of the... The things that this guy did—a different aspect of of cultural Marxism or political correctness—is where he he designed, uh, he he sort of brought in the idea of moral relativism, meaning that you find a level of abstraction where you can make a comparison between two different things, and then convince people that the things are essentially the same. So why not be equally supportive of both? Even though one is clearly not the other, and then having gone that, go the extra step and say, why don't we support? For example, we could say, well, the police and uh, and and criminals both use violence to achieve their means, so morally they're the same because they're both violent. So why wouldn't we instead support the criminal and consider the police to be the problem? That's the that's what I call intellectual sleight of hand. But that is part of. Of communist theory. This is all Marxism, by the way, and it's all political correctness correctness, or cultural Marxism. As a bunch, these are these are all words referring to different aspects of the same general strategy. Right. So, bringing it back to today, there are. Marxist groups, cultural Marxist groups out there who claim to be they they have names which make them sound like they are taking a moral stand whether it's women's rights or Jewish rights or black rights or whatever have you but these groups none of them actually have any genuine interest in the welfare of the people they claim to represent. What they're trying to do is usurp that authority so that it makes them exempt from the kind of reaction that they would normally get when they riot, destroy things or make demands that are obscene and then try to break our system down. So we see rioting in the streets across the United States. One, in fact, there's a Daily Mail headline that just broke recently. A a wartime reporter who's been on many battlefields said he's never seen anything as bad as these riots in the states, and he personally had the crap kicked out of him by Black Lives Matters and groups like that who are who are riot, who are protesting Trump. Now I'm I'm saying. That had Hillary won, they'd be doing the exact same thing. They would just be doing it, pretending to celebrate the fact that they had defeated Trump. Because it doesn't, these groups intend to fundamentally, to borrow a phrase from the current president, transform America. They're looking for a different outcome. They want to bring down. They think a free market, what what they call capitalism, they think of free market economics must be destroyed, and this uh, something else must be put in its place. Presumably, what we saw in Venezuela or North Korea or or the Soviet Union. Uh, so we're looking at, you know, this is this is a very consistent set of things, and it's very predictable. And when you start to look at it in these terms, it becomes predictable. And when it becomes predictable, it, a, it generally means you're, you're really on to something. It means that you're generally – you must have it figured out if you can look ahead and say this is going to happen, and it does. right? So again, what you're seeing with all of these groups that identify with some ethnic group, whether whatever, whatever it might be, and I'm missing a bunch too. There's quite a few more of these groups, but they're really all just one thing. They are George Soros-funded culturally Marxist battering rams against classical civilization. Now Trump, the fact that Trump is is in is giving them a marvelous excuse to really ramp up their game. They'd be doing it anyway. They did it all through uh, the last eight years of, of of an Obama presidency. The only difference is Obama constantly defended them, and he put in um, he put in. Uh, was a holder, and now he's got Lynch. They're both sympathetic to these groups. Well, the chances are very good that Trump will put in a a justice guy who actually won't be sympathetic to these groups, and he's going to crack down on them. That needs to happen for sure. But more importantly, people have to be aware of who they are so that we can get rid of the public sympathy because it has nothing to do with what they're claiming. I mean, if you, if you want, I can prove case by case why that's so. But the, the Jewish groups that are part of this, none of, them are, none of them are concerned about Islamic anti-Semitism. That's a good sign that there's something wrong right there. And two is that they, none of them are, they're all anti-Israel. and They're anti-Israel because Israel is a nation state, and part of what they want to do is destroy the nation state as an entity. They see that that's what they mean by progressive. Progressive means, and even Clinton said that she wants to open up U.S. borders to all of the Western Hemisphere,
0: which means the world. Frankly, right? Exactly. Where are you going to put that border around the equator? I, mean, I don't yeah, think so. Right. Exactly. Listen, so, James, yeah. we have to hold you there for a break. So just hold your thought, and when we get back, we'll carry on. Uh, so you you just stay right there. I'm going to put you back on the queue. So stay put, and we'll have more with James right after this. <laughs>
4: For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in, in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra. Eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile.
0: Thanks for staying with us, folks. My guest is James. He works with a bunch of different organizations and think tanks dealing with uh, all kinds of different security issues and Islamic terrorism and those kinds of things. And we were talking about, um, <laughs> you know, I hate it when the train leaves the station. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Refresh my memory. <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, actually, I was about to go into Clinton specifically you. That, that and it. Trump specifically. Yes. Okay. By all means, be, okay. Um, yes, go ahead. I've got a couple of questions, I know Mike does too. But you go ahead because it'll, they'll come up in due course.
1: Okay. So just to summarize the last whole segment, and I really can't state the importance of this enough. And that is that what we're seeing is organ. This is this is these these groups have been organized since the '60s. By the way, they used to call them the meetings here in Canada. And in every city, there was meetings. I know one of my brothers was actually invited to some, and he went to a couple and thought, "This is commie propaganda, and this is dangerous. I won't go." But all the you know in the 1960s, a lot of people were being dragged into meetings across Canada and the United States, and they were deal- they were selling this, the, the books of Saul Linsky and the Frankfurt School, and this is this is a, this has been organized for a very long time. We're just we're just finally seeing their plans come to fruition here. So what I'm saying is groups like Black Lives Matter, and J Street, and other and other Jewish identity groups. I mean, not all black groups and not all Jewish groups fall under this umbrella, you understand. I'm just talking about the ones which are usurpers of the moral authority of the the suffering of these particular groups in the past in order to use them to destroy, to bring down the temple, to destroy classical civilization. So just to summarize the whole last thing, the whole last segment, it's that these fake identity groups are really George Soros funded and and other groups funded by Marxist groups. Uh, battering rants against classical civilization And they're Marxist okay? So let's go, to, let's go to WikiLeaks a bit for a second Because so I, think, I think this really matters It's interesting that there was no WikiLeaks on Trump And that's because he didn't do anything you got to keep in mind That the guys who do WikiLeaks They're essentially leftists like I just watched a fantastic interview haven't seen it all yet But with Snowden who was live today from you know, Where he's hiding out in Russia And I've watched a lot of stuff uh, From the, the WikiLeaks guy, Assange Right, and these, if you listen them carefully, they're quite left of center. These are not people that you know I would probably like to hang out with, because I consider I'm a fairly I'm a classical liberal and even leaning slightly towards social conservative. Uh, and I, these guys are quite left of center, and they did not dish on Trump. They, they did not, and that's because simply the material isn't there. Both of them are interested in what's actually true. Now the WikiLeaks people. Not even the Clinton camp denied the truth of what they released. They just they, they tried to make it into they tried to make it about the Russians. They tried, which of course was patent nonsense. Even Assange himself said all of this material came from whistleblowers and none of it came from hackers. And he would not accept material that had been hacked. And that's very important. Uh, it's a very important uh, ethical thing of, of uh, Assange to say that, right? Mm-hmm so now they never again clinton never denied the truthfulness of it so let's look at some of it well after he released stuff about media collusion with the dnc people got fired well if it wasn't true then you know
6: why did they they fire
1: fired people in the dnc for colluding and what's interesting is there was immediately one person fired i forget her name some woman who was going back and forth and then they tried to make it look like, well, we just had one bad apple in the, in the, at CNN that was colluding. We didn't agree with her, and so we fired her. And then it came out that basically everybody, to, everybody who's anybody at that organization had been, um, had actually been colluding to send questions all the questions in advance of asking for the DNC for help with questions to ask Trump and so on. So it was, it was, it was grotesque manipulation of our entire system of democracy, right? There's, there was no, it's not, I don't think that there's an obligation for media to be unbiased, but I think there's an obligation to be honest about your bias. When you're pretending to be an unbiased agency and you're doing that sort of thing, that's, that's, that is, that's evil. So now there's a, there's, what you're seeing a lot of the vote in the states really was people waking up to this fact because it's getting it's getting obvious when you see the debates and so on. And you're what you're seeing is like in the first debate, Trump wasn't even debating Clinton; he was debating the moderator. <laughs> I mean, it was so obvious. These people are that so much hubris because they've been running things for so long that they don't even they don't even hide it very well. Now I sent in a clip. I don't know if you, if you got it um, by email, uh, Mike. Did you get it? I sent in a clip which is a short segment of a BBC show from uh, yesterday.
0: I don't and see And
1: I sent it as an MP3. I'm c- kind of hoping that you could play it on air. If you didn't, I could just describe it. Or I might even be able to play it here, and you can listen to it over, uh, you know, through my microphone. It's that, if you want to do that, it's about a three-minute clip. It's basically, it's a guy who's calling in the BBC, and the BBC guy is doing what every media does. We're just so used to it. We don't even, re- we don't even realize what we hear all the time, especially if you listen to CBC, but even now, including Fox, with the exception of Hannity, everybody does this one sort of rhetorical trick. That's the only thing the media does now. And this guy, one guy, phones in to the BBC and he calls him on it. And he's so lucid and he's so clear. He's not angry. His voice never is raised. He never says a single bad word. But they cut him off, and because he was just he was just nailing it. Do you have that clip? I sent I, it by email. I, you I don't have it. of it.
0: Do you? Mike, did you get any clip from from James? Okay, so let's try it from your end, James. We'll see what it sounds like. But as long as it sounds okay, we'll run with it. But if it, if the sound quality is not up to it, we'll we'll dump it, and maybe I'll play it next week.
1: All right. So let me see what I can do here. Uh, I think I can probably do something. Um,
0: now, while you're setting that up, uh, yes. one of the things that I, um, and this is just something you can just let people know. When people are out there trying to do their own homework on this stuff, there's all kinds of different outlets out there. You've got everything from the Huffington Post to you know the National Post, you name it. There's millions of different outlets. Um, where can people go where they can get reasonably unspun? Like Bias is one thing, and if the site lets you know what their bias is, that's fine. But what are some three or four sites people can go to where they can get unfiltered news, that isn't isn't spun to suit any particular political point of view it's just as close to the just the truth as you can get well okay i'm going to i got to give you a really weird answer to that i think
1: almost the only way you could do that is spend you know even just a few days just reading good books even online reading stuff about greek logic online reading how log- logic and reason actually works and then learning to filter what you're reading on the basis of is this a logical fallacy? How am I being misled? And eventually you'll find – you'll whittle your way down to better and better sites. I mean personally, there's certain people that I really look for, uh, Stephen Coughlin, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N, mm-hmm. yep. and anything that Stephen's done, watch and it'll, it'll equip you to understand what you see around you. Stephen uh, predicted the Arab Spring a, over a year before it happened, a couple of years before it happened. Stephen predicted uh, this great migration went into Europe years before it happened and the consequences of it. And the reason he did it is because he has a model that works, and he totally explains it. Stephen is a, a U.S. Uh, Army intel major who routinely briefs the Joint Chiefs of Staff until the Obama administration had him let go, and so he took once. his information to the public. I think you've interviewed him yourself a couple of times.
0: As a matter of fact, so yes. So
1: one thing to do is is, is search for Stephen Coglin on YouTube. You'll find a lot of lectures, and the best one to begin with is called the Red Pill Brief. You'll find that online all over the place.
0: But now, what about but guys, Stephen Coughlin? Yeah, hmm? I was just going to say. Uh, so, so Stephen Coglin, the Red Pill Brief is a good place to start. Yep. Okay. Uh, I I personally like there's certain websites that, that I
1: mean. It depends on what kind of information you're actually looking for. In terms of understanding leftism, Stephen Coughlin is probably the best way to go. There's also Frank Gaffney has an organization called Center for Security Policy. Now, for those who don't remember, Frank Gaffney was undersecretary of defense under Ronald Reagan. And he has a magnificent think tank called Center for Security Policy, uh, where you have uh, Claire Lopez is actually one of the senior fellows in that, and just tons of information from Claire um, at the Center for Security Policy. Uh, and there's, there's like a dozen people who are a general or Admiral Ace Lyons, who was actually commander of the entire Pacific fleet. I think he might have been one of like three people in the world that could have unilaterally started a nuclear war should, should uh, the need arise. So that's the kind of authority that he has. And he's magnificent to listen to. He's still out on the public circuit. You can hear speeches. James Ace Lyons is his name. So, anyway, there's there's a few places. And as we go forward, I, I'll think of others. Okay. So let me just play this clip. Just stop me if it doesn't sound good enough. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, let's see. Oh, just it's going to make me use a different instance of it. So I'll do it here. And this ought to do it. Cool. But well, we have that access Hollywood
6: kit. Which shows absolutely clearly and with no challenge Trump displaying a kind of misogyny which is unacceptable by any standard, let alone for a man running to be president of America. I wouldn't dare say it, but some would argue you have rose tinted spectacles about Hillary <clears> Clinton. <throat> Tiberius in Buckinghamshire Hi. Hello. Hello. Oh, that's, oh, a, willing, th- that's a lovely, calm voice. <laughs> well, I, I'm willing to pick holes in the media, I'm willing to pick holes in you. Go identify. You was what you do and where the disconnect is. Your whole challenge in life seems to be to identify the bigot. Every day you play, I need to identify the bigot. Mm -hmm. I want to identify you as a bigot Mm -hmm. or a sexist or a racist. Mm -hmm. Your whole point is to label people, to label us. And we're not. And you don't understand, do you? Explain. You just don't understand. We we can tell that a snide sort of aspect of your voice is given away. I mean, you're the light entertainment. You're not the investigative journalists. You're not the BBC news that you used to be. You're political. You angled against Trump in the way you angled against Farage. It was a, a destroying of character. Do you think the BBC has been doing that? Do you think the BBC has been oh, clearly uh, clearly Tiberius? Well you 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 pushing the uh, propaganda fed back to you by your listeners. And the echo chamber just gets louder and louder and it, it becomes so overwhelming to take <laughs> a step back and then listen to the BBC again. You hear the propaganda, it's so extreme. You're just trying to identify and label all the time. It's a racist. It's a feminist. It's an Islamophobic. A phobia means a fear of something irrational, Nicholas. Something irrational. Do you think it's an irrational fear to fear a cult that hates women and hates people and blows themselves up that we don't relate to? Like, is it, do you think that's irrational? What do you think's happening? Really? What do you, do you think, think? It's an irrational phobia? What do you think's happening? Phobia. What do you think is happening in Europe, then? Do you think there is a kickback against all this? I think it's partly because there is a wave of people moving from failed Islamic countries, and you're unwilling to identify them as Islamic countries. And it's a mixture of cultures that don't integrate, and you're failing to identify the fact that they don't integrate properly. And you're also failing to identify the ones that are willing to integrate. You're pointing at the British as being the ones, and they're the ones that are bent over backwards again and, again and again and again and again, and can't do it anymore. And you just don't get it. I was talking earlier on about the racism of low expectations, different standards being applied to people who come from certain countries who uh, are. are just British having... don't mind about races, they mind about yeah. cultures. They mind about the Muslim culture, Nikki. That get to
1: you. So well, that's one surefire way to, uh, avoid the, to avoid the fact of what you're saying. And it goes right back to political correctness. So, but this this guy made an, he didn't it, it wasn't Shakespeare, but he called the media on what they do. All they do is use the standard of cultural Marxism. When on this show, he had a whole panel. Of cultural Marxism, we're sitting there filtering everything through a lens of is this sexist, is this – and Donald Trump's awful because he said something rude once, but Bill Clinton isn't a problem even though he, he's been to rape island of children 20 times. Why, why is that? Well, because he's a leftist. So cultural Marxism is a set of rules which is designed to destroy anybody who stands for the nation state. Who stands for free market economics and stands for the rights of the individual? This is part of a plot to overturn the temple, to bring it all down, well, and that's why these—that's why cultural Marxism at these. This guy who called in and nailed it. And CNN is absolutely no better. Everybody, even except for Hannity on Fox, I think he's the last guy standing in the media, the United States, Canada. If I listen to the CBC for ten minutes, I want to. Just- Blow my brain up.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say C B C isn't any better either. Now let me I wanna take you back. You mentioned George Soros, and I don't think people enough people know enough about him. What is in it for him? Why is he funding all this? Like he's obviously a very, very wealthy man, owes his wealth to the very society and the culture that he's trying to destroy. Why? Well, for one thing, he's very, very far left wing. Uh, by very far left wing, I mean
1: he's a Nazi because the Nazis were very far left wing. He's he's a the Nazis were a National Socialist Workers Party. And if you know, I suggest that people do this because a whole bunch of people uh, probably just drew a deep breath through their teeth, thinking, "Ah, that guy's crazy." We all know that Hitler's right wing. Well, Hitler. after the war when everybody started to realize how bad he was. The left started painting him as right-wing, but he was their darling up till then. And if you want proof of what Hitler thought and whether he's left-wing or right-wing, I suggest going onto YouTube. And people have subtitled the Nuremberg rallies. So these are Hitler's most famous speeches in front of countless thousands of people, children in Nazi uniforms and adults. It's called the Nuremberg rallies. So just go, go listen to them. They're all about a classless society. It's all communism. The only difference between him and the Soviets was that he believed in national socialism, a certain kind of ethno-national socialism, and the Russians believed in a certain class more as international socialism, but it was virtually indistinguishable. He, The National Socialist Workers' Party was a left-wing party, and, and George Soros was actually, as a child, who was, was called a Kavo. I believe that he turned his own family into the, the Nazis. He turned his own family in as Jews. And he worked at finding other Jewish people in Hungary and exposing them and bringing giving them to the nazis he was He was an astonishingly evil guy, and he doesn't regret or repent of it one bit to this very day he I believe in one interview and i I'd, I'd have to check this, but apparently in sixty minutes he claimed it was the best time of his life and never he still believes in globalism and a globalist socialist thing. What's in it for him? Every single bit of instability that he plants by the way, when I say plants, they found on many of these migrants that cross the uh Uh, that have been crossing through into Europe, they found George Soros Foundation printed booklets giving instructions of what agencies to call in each country in case they tried to throw them out, what rights to claim and what arcane principles of law they could use and say, well, you know, I'm in this condition and I'm on this location, therefore I have to have, you know, I have to be given clemency or I have to be given food and shelter whatever. So these booklets were researched and produced and printed and given to these guys. Some some allegations even say that Soros foundations even handed them the cash to to migrate to Europe. Well. Out of, if, he, if, if if his motive is money, and he certainly has all the money anyone could ever need, he's a very, very rich guy. And WikiLeaks also produced documents showing that Hillary Clinton was very much in his debt and included him in all of her planning, much like she would have the Saudis, and we could come back to that. One thing I wanted to uh, cover before I, before we finish the show, by the way, is I, I really do want to talk about Trump and Canadian interests. And I think it's going to be very short, but I, I think it's something – that's probably worth exploring anyway okay. One of what things... would soros get we well, knows how, he knows how to make money out of instability that's all, all right. create instability and that's where you make the real money
0: and the other thing i want to get into when we get back from this break is putin and how he fits into this whole equation so hold your hold sure. your fire we'll talk about uh, that right after this we'll be right back with more on the nick at night show
4: But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion
5: 34 Cleopatra. Tell him Council sent you. That'll make him smile. Timo's 2000 Mobile Auto Cleaning. Comes right to your driveway, makes your vehicle look brand new again. Classic cars, bikes, boats, RVs, dump trucks, hot rods, tractors, transport trucks. We can even make your minivan look like the day you drove it off the lot. Did you spill too much coffee on your seat? Did Junior decide he couldn't wait till he got home? And yuck, maybe you're just long overdue for that meticulous cleaning. Maybe you want to sell the old beast. Smartest thing you can do is make it look brand new again. Timmos 2000, 613-327-8498, 613-327-8498, or go to timmos2000.com.
0: My guest this evening is James. He works with a bunch of different think tanks and uh, has his finger on the pulse of uh, what's going on in world affairs, especially in the area of Islamic terrorism. And he's been my guest this hour. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am and learning a lot as well. James, uh, we were going to talk about, uh, yes, Putin, but uh, Trump and Canadian influence and and, uh, or the impact of Trump on Canada and those kinds of things. So take it away. So this is where it gets interesting for me. Um, the last eight years, a singularly peculiar thing has
1: happened that I really hadn't been able to figure out until the WikiLeaks explained it, and that is why was the Keystone Pipeline constantly being nixed by Obama? And, and of course, the WikiLeaks came out showing that the Saudis completely paid for, um, for Clinton's campaign, and I realized, okay, probably they also paid for Obama's. So now the Saudis are an interesting kind of country. they Geopolitically speaking – you either can be rich or you can be powerful. You can't be both, right? So the Saudis chose to be rich. The Americans chose to be powerful. But the Saudis use their wealth as a weapon, so to to make sure that their interests are observed and their interests are. Accumulation of wealth, like most people's interests, but it's also the spread of Islam as a doctrine, and to use that spread of islam as a as a as an instrument of uh, projecting force by them and by Islam in general, which they'd see themselves as the locus of, and not entirely without reason. So why would they keep mixing they, they would actually pay the Saudis most likely, I should say to be really clear. The Saudis most likely paid for a lot of the demonstrations against the oil sands and Canadian-produced energy. Why? Well, because that way we keep buying Saudi oil. Of course, environmental. If you, it just takes 10 seconds of thought to realize that if you're going to burn X number of barrels of oil anyway, that the environmental damage to the world, if you believe that there is global warming is real, for example, is a lot, is a lot more when you have to send super tankers full of oil from Saudi Arabia to North America. Right, that's gotta. I mean, you're burning oil to get the oil. It's crazy. A pipeline would be environmentally way, way more friendly than shipping the oil from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that doesn't sense. Yes, obviously, right. So obviously, there's something going on here. So uh, obviously, the Saudis have been paying off the Obama and Clinton administration to make sure that that their oil is consumed, that oil prices stay uh, stay in a comfortable place for Saudi Arabia, and that they're in control of the world's energy. And it's been working out. Very well for them for quite a while. So now we have Trump, whose most important statement in terms of the difference between him and anybody since Reagan is he's not beholden to anyone. He he, he took the job and doesn't know anybody. He used his own money to get there, and he's not beholden to anybody. That's an incredibly powerful position to be in. So it's quite likely that he may try to approve the Keystone Pipeline and reinvigorate Canadians' oil and gas industry. Now, I mean, I have I have a little bit of knowledge on. That Not a great deal, but I do know that even that that at current and soon to be world prices, we actually can make money as a country uh, but at the, at, based on the cost of production of oil as it is here, so we really want that to happen, and our oil and gas industry, which has been what our governments have been robbing like a like a bad child with a piggy bank for quite a while, is really hurting it 's been downsizing yep. jobs are being lost like mm-hmm. crazy and This is, again, because we we could reinvigorate that with one simple pipeline. And why wouldn't uh, the American administration want to get oil or oil and gas products from Canada instead of getting it from the Middle East, which has been nothing but a thorn in everybody's side in in virtually every sphere of international relations? And the answer is, well, of course they would. So the only problem is that now we've got – a, a prime minister in Canada who seems to be beholden to those same interests, possibly tilted more toward Iran than toward, the Saudi, toward Saudi Arabia. But he's been mixing pipelines even within Canada. And I think it's for the same reasons, right? We're trying to make sure we're trying to he's trying to crush Canadian oil and gas industry. Because I, I can't say this with authority. I can say with authority that it was Muslims that got Trudeau into power in Canada. Muslims got out the vote in a big way, much like they did in the states. It just didn't work, but in Canada it did work, and the numbers were. No, in no previous Canadian election have Muslims voted over 30% of the Muslim population, and this time it was over 80%. It was all for Trudeau, and there's even lectures online on YouTube of imams after the election talking about how it was Muslims who got him in, and how Trudeau is essentially a certain kind of figure to Islam that's very important to them. So I think that and I think that his interests are Iranian just based on the fact that his brother happens to work for Press T V, which is Iranian state media mouthpiece, right? So anyway, these are it's all circumstantial, but think of it what you will, he's still been mixing pipelines here within Canada itself, which is a mighty strange thing to do for somebody who's supposed to be representing Canadian interests. Okay. And I Let- believe that Alberta also has a very peculiar government. Yeah. So you got to wonder even if even if uh even if Trump wants to go ahead with the Keystone pipeline you know it's going to take a lot of work on people on our side to actually make that thing happen but if it does it's going to be so good for canada
0: all right let me stop you there for just a second i want to bring mike on he's got a question for you
3: go ahead mike Hi, james Sure. Um... I wanted to ask a question. Uh, it, it does kind of sidestep the Trump administration only because he's not in there yet and he doesn't have his team. I, the question is more directed at, and you know, we've talked privately about this a little bit. Um, I'm curious to know, we know the Muslim Brotherhood has infiltrated uh, the DNC, but it also has infiltrated the RNC, the CPAC. Uh, there was that one fellow I think Frank Gaffney outed uh, a few years ago, um, but there's also – it's not just the RNC, but also the – just the bureaucratic uh, administrative state, so the, the the part of the government that never, ever gets voted in or out, They're just the apparatus itself, the FBI, CIA, whatever. I'm just curious to know uh, how, what the level of infiltration is still uh, that that we'd have to contend with, because no matter what Trump wants to do in terms of his office and the people he puts in, he is going to be dealing with... Basically, people that have, I think, molded themselves in there and they're just not that easy to get out. I'm just curious your thoughts on what we still have to contend with, even with a a Republican government.
1: Okay, so first of all, I want to thank you for that absolutely fantastic and more than fantastic question. It was an important question. And so I hope I can give you a satisfactory answer. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things. One is that I, I know that Mr. President-elect Trump has some of the best advisors there could possibly be that he has been listening to the counsel of um, people who I know who are extraordinary on this subject and I'm not comfortable naming them till this all becomes more a matter of a public issue but I, I do know that he has been talking to people who are extremely good and that do know those things that that you have mentioned so My feeling is very good that he's actually going to – and the second thing is that the the, the Republicans did their best not to allow Trump to be their guy, and Trump had to use some pretty Machiavellian uh, uh, techniques to keep him – to make sure that he stayed there. He threatened to form a third party, which would have absolutely guaranteed a Democrat victory, Right. So we, we know that the Republicans didn't want him. And I think the Republicans didn't want him for the exact reason that you said. Because let's face it, if Clinton got in, it, the chances are it would be eight years of Clinton, which means that looking backwards, it would have been, what, 48 years of either a Bush or a Clinton in the White House, either Secretary of State or President. So the the entire system is fully corrupted, right? And, and Trump's sort of bloviating clumsily stated claims about how the system is rigged and so on. The only real problem with them is he, he just he didn't state it like, like a a Shakespeare, he didn't state it like a, a Winston Churchill, but he understated his own case. These things he said were very, very true. So I'd like to speak to, to directly to any audience then about that. For those who want to know the penetration, they want to find out for themselves how deep this penetration is. I could recommend some course material, Frank Afty, and of course, you can watch a lot of this stuff. But here's the the thing you could do to find out for yourself. There was a building, I think it was two, maybe three years ago, that was in downtown, uh, was it Minneapolis, I think it was? Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I think it was downtown Minneapolis. Community center, mosque, kind of public housing. But anyway, Somali Muslim, it had a halal.
6: James?
0: Okay, we're going to try and get James back. I don't know what happened there. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah, might just... James? Okay, well, um, not not sure what happened there. What do you want to do? I don't think it dropped. just put it in the queue. Okay, let's put him back in the queue and then we'll bring him back on again. Hang on, James, if you're there. Let's try that. James, are you there? All right. Um, What we'll do is we'll go to a commercial, and we'll try to get this sorted out because James is just getting into some really good stuff, and we'll try to uh, sort this all out. We'll have more for you on the other side with the Nick at Night Show right after this. Welcome back. James, are you there? Sure am. So um,
2: uh,
1: let's to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, what I was saying is for those people that want to get a sense of the penetration into the U.S. Uh, federal systems by the Muslim Brotherhood and by Islamic interests, research a building that blew up, and in, in I believe it was Minneapolis two or three years ago, it was a Somali community center. It had a mosque. It was a bunch of people lived there. It had a halal butcher. It was right downtown, and the building just blew up. I mean, big time exploded from the middle, one of the apartments in the middle near the one of the main streets. It just, the building blew up. Now, uh, at first they said it was a gas leak. Now, the, it's not gas, utility companies in the States are often private. They're not like Canada where it's all socialist. So they actually had a vested interest in saying if it was a gas leak or not, because it would be bad for them. So they came out and said, no, this wasn't a gas leak. They invited reporters, all the reporters in the area that covered this exploding building, they invited them down and showed them all the meters and dials and said, this is what happens when there's a gas leak or a gas explosion. You can see the volume increase and then stop and so on. You'll see that ne- that never happened here, that, and that building doesn't even have natural gas. So it could not have been that, right? Okay. So but the, again this is really important so the the government lied through the media saying that it was a gas leak and then the police said well we're gonna, this is going to take several weeks and they cordoned off the area so that nobody could interfere with the wreckage so it could be properly investigated and all the normal procedures started. Right. The next day, the Department of Homeland Security showed up with bulldozers, knocked everything down and carted away and moved it, and that was the end. And there's not a news story about it since then, much like the building that blew up in, uh, in was it not we'll know, in just outside of Ottawa and Greeley in September a year or two ago. I remember that. Three buildings blew up in Greeley and it was the biggest explosion probably in Ottawa history. You could hear it for 17 miles uh, all the way up and down Bank Street, and uh, there isn't a single news report that's more than 24 hours after those buildings blew up, except that the police said that it was not a drug lab or a grow-up. That's all, and we've heard nothing about it since. So so I'm not suggesting that it's penetration in Ottawa. I'm not suggesting it was those kind of interests, but I am with the DHS, because if you follow up with, with that building in the States, the DHS actually destroyed the evidence. They didn't just uh, investigate and keep those results secret, which is what happened in Ottawa. What they did in uh, in Minneapolis was they deliberately made it so you could not investigate because they knew. And several of the people in the DHS have been outed as being deep uh, members of the Muslim Brotherhood and so on and so on. So we know that these agencies are totally corrupted, but we also know that Trump knows that. So, if he decide if he, he's actually in a position, he has the information. He's not beholden to people. Trump. Could make a difference.
0: All right. With that, that, I have to the
1: question. And last thing, last thing, if people are interested in understanding more about the relationship between political correctness and communism and frankly evil, I think the thing to do is find everything you can on the history of political correctness, on the Frankfurt School, which was what brought political correctness to the United States and Canada, and, uh, and, uh, the history of people like Michael Foucault and, and especially Saul Alinsky and try to get that movie Hillary's America, that section on Alinsky and how he for no reason other than to create chaos and and inflict suffering on people uh, just absolutely screwed the system of uh, cafeterias during the Depression.
0: James, I hate to do it, but that's an hour and I have to stop you there. I just have Thanks to let for you. having
1: me on, Nick. It's always a pleasure. I, I hope I wasn't
0: boring for you. No, you were a lot of things, but boring wasn't one of them. James, thanks for the call. All right, that wraps it up for me. I hope to talk to you all again next week. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace, and may you have a fair wind and a following sea.